Welcome to Fast Lane with Sarah Jane, a podcast for women who are on the move, managing life and family. Your host, Sarah Jane, is building a tribe and talking about the things that affect the daily lives of moms. You can expect real conversations about managing chaos, finding ways to take care of mind and body, and stepping outside your comfort zone on the way to living your best life. Hold on for a wild ride. Now, let's get started. Happy Thursday. You are in the fast lane with Sarah Jane. And today, this is exciting because today is the first time I've ever had someone request a guest. And Mrs. Kraft's fourth grade class actually wanted Kevin Lovegreen to come onto my podcast because they are just loving his books this year. And so I looked into uh, Mr. Lovegreen and I have two boys myself. So my boys started reading the books and I was really happy that they encouraged me to reach out to him. And I'm very happy that you were able to join us today. So welcome Kevin Lovegreen. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So Kevin writes, can we say children's books or is it more preteen books? What would be your genre? Well, they're, they're more children's books, so they're uh, ideal. The chapter books are ideal for second to sixth graders. And then I've got a couple of the picture books that are great for the kindergarten to first to second graders. And then we just came out with our new book, Fishing with Dad, that is good for, you know, four and five-year-olds, we'll say. Cool. So have, were you always an author? Or was this, how did you get onto this author track? <laughs> well, this is kind of funny because I just got done doing a three-hour school presentation, so I have all these questions ready to go. <laughs> no, I've definitely not always been an author. Uh, nine years ago, I sold my shares on a family business to my brother, and I needed something to do. I was uh, 42 years old, and I was going to take a year off and figure it out. So I went to hire a life coach, and the life coach simply asked me a question that day, what do you have or do that's different than anybody else? And the only thing that popped in my mind was a diary that I had that I kept since I was 12 years old, all my hunting and fishing adventures. She laughed at me and said, I don't know what it means, but go figure it out. So I told a friend of mine, friend of mine said, you got to meet my mom. She writes children's books. I said, what does that have to do with me? I never dreamed of writing a book. She goes, you might want to write stories about your adventures. And I said, okay, whatever. I'll meet your mom. (laughs) Alice had written four or five books at the time. She gave me about a half an hour. And in that half an hour, she fired me up and inspired me and basically challenged me to go write one book. She knew I was taking a year off, said, go do it. So I wrote my first book about my first white-tailed deer hunt. I'm finishing up my 15th now, so I guess the rest is history. <laughs> wow. So for seven years, you've been writing books. Nine years now. Nine years. Nine years. Okay. And how many books have you written? So I'm finishing up number 15 of the Lucky Luke series is at the editor right now. Wow. That's a lot of books. So it's all this little uh, diary right here that started the whole thing. So <laughs> when did you start writing in your diary? How old were you? I was 12 years old when I, w- I went on my first white-tailed deer hunt and I came home from the weekend. My mom gave me the diary and I didn't know what to write in it, but I had so much fun that weekend. I couldn't, I had to write it all down. And then I went back the next weekend and had more fun. Well, every time I went hunting and fishing, I came back and had some reason to write a story down because a lot of crazy things happened to me. So I just kept doing it till I was about 30 years old. Wow. So do you diary at all now when you go hunting? 
That's really funny. I, uh, I'm hit and miss now over about the last, well, it's funny, probably since I've been writing books, but I'm hit and miss. I, I try to keep up when something really fun happens. I now type it all out. I don't put it in a diary like this, but yeah, I do a pretty good job of keeping track of my hunting adventures because I still, I just enjoy remembering uh, what happened. Wow. That, that, is, that, that is a really cool thing that you started writing in a diary at 12 and now that's your job. Right. No, I, I like to explain to the kids over and over again, start journaling if you're not doing it, because you have no idea what that journal might inspire you to do one day like me. I, I trust me, when I was 12 years old, I had no idea I was going to end up writing books and doing what I'm doing. So, yeah, it's a great adventure. And sometimes you have no idea where that adventure is going to take you. That's for sure. And you weren't writing in your journal daily just after your trips. Only on the trips. I just, I had so much fun on the adventures that it gave me a reason to remember them. And then we'd go back over the years and remember what deer was shot when and what deer stand. And it, it's just been a yeah fun thing. I love it. So one of the questions that um, from Mrs. Crafts class is, was it difficult to get your books published? Well, interesting question. And I've done a really, I've tried really hard to help other authors. It's a mystery that seems really complicated until you do it. <laughs> so I went to a self-publishing company and basically said, I have no idea what I'm doing, here I am. So they guided me through the process. Well, once I was done with the process, I realized there was really no magic to it in a sense. So I have self-published every book since because that self-publisher, now whether they made a mistake or not, I'm not sure, but they basically told me I couldn't write a book about every one to two years because you needed to write your book market it, sell it, and then do the next one. And I said, whoa, 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 I got all these ideas. I want to write one about every six months. They said, no, well, I left and just started doing it on my own. I, I, my same designer has been doing all my books. My, I've, I'm on my second editor. My same illustrator has done the last 15 of my books. She's amazing. So once you get your little team together, getting it published is not a big deal in the self-publishing world. Selling the books is the challenge. Okay, so how did you find an illustrator? Uh, well, through the process of that's in the self-publishing world, they introduced me to an illustrator to work on my second book. And bottom line is once I started doing it on my own, I said, I got another, another one to do. Do you want to do it with me? Sure. So basically I, I emailed Margarita up and Margarita takes a look at what I got going and boom, she's done every cover for me. I mean, I'll show you my last cover she did. This is frozen fun and she's just absolutely amazing wow. of what she can do with the books and the latest one, the all picture book was, was fishing with dad and her pictures are just, they're, they're magical. So Those she, are very nice. she does a really good job and it makes it really fun. So that's, that's that. So and what about had, your head? Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I've, I've had now two of the, we'll call it the bigger publishers in town, try to get me on board. And at the end of the day, the, you don't want to be you don't want to have a publisher. If you're working with a publisher, unfortunately, those authors, 99.8% are making zero money. And they don't want anybody to know that. But at the end of the day, they offer you almost no money. They will pay for all the books up front to get your books published, and which is great. So you don't have to put money out, but you will not make money doing it because they take 90% and give you 10. And I just had a publisher call me back, email me again last week, saying, come on, I see what you're doing. Let's get back on board. And he offered me the same deal and I haven't responded back to him because I think it's so embarrassing that publishers uh, really take advantage of authors and it's unfortunate. Wow. So then how'd you find an editor? 
through again, just through word of well, my designer. My second editor came through my designer. He said, hey, you need somebody new. This gal's fantastic. Angela jumped on board and she's amazing. And so when authors come to me, I give them my list of everybody I work with. Say, here, they're fantastic. Use them. And that's kind of how this world works. And once you understand, again, that the process is not difficult to get it printed, you then need to just figure out how to market it. But I mean, we could go on. Don't even get me on that tangent and the whole deal. I mean, if a, if a publisher is offering you 10% of a $8 book, you're making 80 cents. I mean, it's, it's, it's a joke. You make, you make no money doing that. So if you self-publish it yourself and you sell 100 books on your own, you're going to make a dollar. You're, you're going to make some money, but you're never going to make money going through a publisher. And unless you're that teeny tiny little percentage that somehow magically they sell a whole bunch of them. And again, they're still making 90% of it, right? So you're still making a little portion. So anyway, I don't know how we got to that topic, but. Wow. Well, it was a question and then we just, we just went from there. <laughs> so then, um, so some of these questions you've already answered because uh, we found out you started doing this because of your journal, but did you ever write a book or read something in your journal and want to write about it, but you scrapped it because you didn't think it was like that interesting or that good? No, no, I didn't. Once I started doing this, the, the books have just flown out and I realized, you know, the, it was really easy at first because I had so many of the, I wanted to keep doing different animals and they were all there. So that was a really easy the next step now trying to figure out, you know, the, now I've written four fishing books, but all a little bit different. Fly fishing, ice fishing, bass fishing, and walleye fishing. So it's kind of, that's been interesting. But no, I guess I've never really had an idea that said, I don't think that's going to work, I guess. I haven't done that yet. Good. So then the characters in your book, since you are writing from your journal, but you write about Luke. So is Luke, did you, is Luke you, or did you use a name of a family member for Luke? Where did you get Luke? It's the greatest thing ever that confuses everybody, especially my family. So Lucky <laughs> Luke, my son now, my 21 year old son is Luke. We've always called him Lucky Luke for some reason. He loves hunting and fishing. So it was easy. Somehow I went, I'm going to write a story, a book series called Lucky Luke's Hunting Adventures. Well, I'm Luke in almost every book. So I use his name and then I really throw a curveball in there. My real daughter, who's 23, Crystal, I bring her in as Luke's sister in the books, but usually it's me being Luke. So it's really confusing. So then sometimes it's dad is me. And sometimes dad is really my real dad. Like in my first white-tailed deer hunt, it was more about how my dad reacted to me when I was out in the swamp and doing this stuff. So I intertwine the stories, winter, winter, turkey dinner and turkey tales was finally luck, lucky Luke's real day. He was 10 years old, my son. I took him on his first turkey hunt. We had a magical time. So he's really Luke in, in the turkey books. And now Crystal, um, my newest book out there is about her first white-tailed deer hunt. She's clearly Crystal in the book. It's not Lucky Luke anymore. So it's my first all-girl book. I've been, a lot of people have been asking for that. So I'm really excited. It's, it was so much fun to write. It's Crystal and her friend Megan and their first white-tailed deer hunt. So Okay, so it's Lucky Luke. Luke, is it like, does Crystal have a fun name or is it just Crystal? It's Crystal. She's Crystal. And I, I kidded, you know, one day if I ever wrote a, you know, a whole series on her. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the, they, the way I write, it had to really happen. All of them are based on true stories. It makes it so much fun and easy to write when it's based on true stories. Right. And when I have to intertwine and throw too much fiction into it, it's challenging for me. So on my Moose Mania book, we had seven days of moose hunting in Alaska. You're stuck in the middle of nowhere. 
but we only had two or three days where we ran into animals. So I had to make up a bunch of fun stuff. It was a really hard book to write. <laughs> <laughs> so that is it. Then that leads into this one. When your writing is based off of memory, how much do you allow yourself to embellish or create small details that you can't remember? Yeah, no, it, ironically, my wife laughs at me. For some reason, I have the hardest time remembering the details of things that happened, unless it's hunting. Hunting, I can tell you what happened with a spider that crawled up a tree for some reason. I can remember every detail. But definitely what I tend to do now is I try to get as creative as I can. And I teach the creative writing when I go into schools and it's so much fun for the kids, but it's about making it as colorful as I can just to entertain the kids. So again, if I'm talking about the deer coming in and Crystal, it was so much fun for me just trying to picture what was she thinking. And so I may enhance what really happened, but the deer really came in. And it's just a matter of, did we really hear the footsteps, the way they crunch the leaves and all that stuff? You know, I, I add a lot of creativity to it and try to make it so it's more entertaining for the kids. And I guess that's where I embellish a little bit. Okay, so the podcast is only audio. So no one is going to be able to see Kevin speaking, but I am enjoying him because I usually am a big hand talker and I'm very animated and he is all over the place. Like I just, I want to be in a room where you're talking because I just think I'll be sitting at the end of my chair. Well, I love my, my highlight of this whole experience is going into schools and I had 48 schools lined up last year before COVID hit and I had about 10 that I couldn't get to. It crushed me because I love you fill an audience with a bunch of kindergartners all the way up to sixth graders. And I love it. Yes, I get animated. I walk into the stands. I, I bring them down. You know, I just I have so much fun with the kids. And that's just, again, I think that's how the stories came out. I just love telling stories. And it took me a long time to realize I'm an author. I just feel like I was writing stories and somebody took it. My editor made it work. And somehow now I'm an author. But at the end of the day, I just like telling stories. So what did you do before then you were an author? Oh, that's really funny. Metal fabrication. My grandparents started a company in 1948. It's been in our family for years and years. We built conveyor systems, bridge cranes, metal. It was something that I grew up in and I was in the office. I had no idea. I couldn't weld anything, right? So that wasn't my forte at all. Managing people was a blast and I enjoyed that part of it, but it had nothing to do with writing books. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so what about creativity? Did you use creativity in that job? Because right now that's kind of your bread and butter. No, I wouldn't say, well, the only, I suppose the only creativity I'd say in it is number one, dealing with family members. I had a brother-in-law and a brother I worked with. That was creative enough. <laughs> but then I, I think more using creativity to motivate people. We had a lot of employees, you know, over hundred employees. And I think just that alone, you had to be creative just to motivate people on a daily basis. Hmm. So other than your journal that you did when you were a child or a diary, um, did you like to write in school or were you creative in school at all? <laughs> No, I, I failed every spelling test I ever took. I, uh, I, I, I somehow, and I feel bad. I think somehow I didn't get inspired with the right books because I think if I would have figured this out and, and I am blessed beyond means the emails we get are, it doesn't end of the parents saying, my kid hated reading until they read your books. This is amazing. Please, please keep writing. And I just go, how did this happen? It was a fluke. I was just writing about stories that I enjoyed and somehow it's really, and it's sparking kids to want to read more. And that's kind of my goal. As I say, I go into schools, and I want to try to create a reading frenzy by firing the kids up with stories that they kind of relate to somehow. And I didn't realize that I was, I was involved in such a niche, but boy, there's just very few books like that out there. And hopefully more authors are going to you know, figure this out and keep offering that to the kids because 
I get that asked all the time. My kids wrote, read all yours. What's the next one? Where are the other series? I'm like, I, there just really isn't more out there. Sure. I see as I'm looking behind you, I have the Duck Shack and I do have Monster Mule Deer. And I think we have, is it Bear Hunt? There's something big, about bear. Big Bear Feet? Yes. I have those three at my house right now. All right. So I'm getting, I'm getting updates on those. And I have not read one of your books. I will be honest. I, I do need to do that, but I have three floating around my house. So I'll be able to, I'll be able to get on that. Okay. So when oh, you, yeah, I get a, by the way, I, you can't believe how many times I hear, I couldn't get the, the book away from my dad so I could read it. <laughs> the dad, really? Yeah. The, the dads and grandpas and it just, there's something that pulls them and I'll have grandpas email me and say, Oh my goodness, I read your book. It brought me back to being a kid again and oh. walking in those woods and I'm like, huh, how cool is that? <laughs> I love it. What's the average length of your books? They're 66 pages to 145 pages. So in, in the last few, I've been, I keep like average around that 90 page. They're, they're short. The number one goal for some reason when I started, I had a fifth grade teacher say, you know, keep them short so you don't scare these fifth graders away. And I'm like, oh, all right. So I've kind of always done that is kept them where I want a boy to pick it up. Or, and, and trust me, girls really do enjoy them because Crystal's in a lot of them. But mm -hmm. I just want them to pick them up and not get scared of, oh boy, how am I going to finish this? Mm -hmm. No, that sounds, that sounds good. What, um, when you were told you got your life coach, you had your, um, all your journals written down, and then you were kind of approached with being an author. Did you, did you want to entertain that idea right away? Or did you right away think, um, no, that's not me. I told myself in the one year that I was going to take off from work to turn into about four, but I said, I told my wife, I'm not going to take any job in a sense, but I'm going to explore every option. So when I was challenged by Alice and she looked me square in the eye and just said, you know, do you have any reason why you shouldn't go write this book? She knew I was taking a year off her, her, her daughter told her. So I'm like, no. So I, I saw it as definitely wasn't going to be work. It was going to be a challenge just to have some fun. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting. That is interesting. Which one, which book is your favorite? I get asked that. I just got asked that three times by the three <laughs> classes. If I had to pick one, just barely the other one is it's Muddy Elk. Just because it took me seven years to finally get my first elk. It truly happened magically where all of a sudden I get this elk walking two feet away from me, staring me down and I'm kneeling, trying to hide behind my bowl. Even when I told the kids a story just moments ago on, on the pot, on uh, on Zoom, my heart just starts pounding because I can picture being there again. And so probably Muddy Elk, but I'm telling you what, writing the story about Crystal and her first year hunt was really cool. I can't wait to get that book done because that just brought back so many memories. Crystal and I have been hunting ever since she was 12. I probably actually took her out when she was 10 or 11. For some reason, we just, we've always hunted together. She, we love sitting in the same deer stands. And once rifle season starts, basically I go out there with my gun, but I'm, hunt, I'm hunting for her. I'm her guide and basically so. <laughs> It's just, it was a really fun book. So I think that one might end up being my favorite book just because it, it's, it's fun. Awesome. And, and Luke loves hunting, but we don't typically hunt together too much. Okay. We, we're out there in the same, but he doesn't want to be sitting in the same steer stand for the most part. He wants to be on his own. Okay. And then which book did you, that you wrote, which one took the longest to write? Moose Mania for sure. It ended up being my longest book. But the reason it took me so long is that out of the seven days of being stuck in Alaska, and I say stuck because there was, we were law, there was all kinds going on. It was fun stuff to write, but there was, just, there was a lot of fill in too. So for some reason, I challenged myself to make this book 
And I don't ever plan on a page count, but all of a sudden it ended up being the longest book I wrote and it took me the longest because I added so much stuff to it. Hmm. So how long did you say that took you then? Well, that one still, I, I kept track of that one. It was right around six months. I'd be start, start to finish. So what's the average time for your other books? Yeah, I laugh. I mean, again, it's still four to six months, even though that one, maybe that just felt like it took the longest. I don't know, but it's, yeah, they just, and and again, six months in the publishing world is really fast to write write books. You know, once we get them going, the longest process is probably the editing process just because, you know, she's busy and it takes time. So she'll, she'll take about a week or so to get it back to me. We do a chapter or so at a time and then I'll jump on it and get it back to her in about 20 minutes. <laughs> and then it takes a week or so because she's got to go through other ones. But right. for the most part, we can get them done pretty quick. But the last book I wrote about Crystal too, I, I wrote that book in like three weeks. As long as I sat down, I was too excited. Wow. I just kept going and it just flowed out of me like crazy. If I get stuck like Moose Mania once in a while, there was days where I didn't write. So that's why it kind of spread out a little bit. Sure. Wow. Okay. So your stories take place in many different places. How much do you need to plan or dig up information about these places while you are writing? Yeah, none at all. I, cause I only write about what truly I experienced. So it's so easy for me, Alberta. You know, I've only was in Alberta twice, but Oh my goodness, it was fun for me to explain that there's no houses anywhere and you're driving in the middle of nowhere and you look over and there's an elk here and next thing you know, you'll see a whitetail and then a mule deer and the animals. And it was just, it was easy to explain it. Um, I could describe the, the, the guide's house and our little cabins. We say that clearly. And that's where it was. I didn't, I don't have to do research on it because I was there, right? I saw it. Cool. So then when you, you live in Minnesota? Yes. Yep. Egan, Minnesota. So I'm, I'm 15 minutes from the Mall of America. So pretty much wherever I go in this world, somebody knows where the Mall of America is. Absolutely. Okay. I went to chiropractic school in Bloomington. All right. So I lived in that area and I'm in North Dakota. Okay. Wonderful. So the kids are wondering, do any of your books take place in North Dakota? No, nope, not yet. I, I haven't done really any hunting in North Dakota. I'm racking my brains. It's funny how things will slip, but no, I've not hunted really in North Dakota. I've done pheasant hunting in South Dakota. Um, these kids were just from a ne- Nebraska and they're like, haven't you ever hunted in Nebraska? I said, no, I drive through going to Colorado a lot, but I've never hunted in Nebraska. <laughs> okay. So how old were you when you first, uh, when you shot your first deer? I, I was 13 years old and I got my first doe. Okay. And how about, how old were you when you caught your first fish? Ooh, and they asked me that a lot. There's a picture of me when I'm about two years old holding the sunfish at our cabin. Ooh. So I, I think I was you know, little. My dad, we were out fishing just like I had my kids, you know, where as soon as they could hold a fishing rod in their hand, we were out there trying to catch a sunfish off the dock or something. So young. Okay. What is your favorite place to hunt? Colorado. I love Colorado, the mountains of Colorado. My cousin lives out there. I've been going out there for years and I can come back from a five-day Colorado elk hunt, not seeing elk and have a great hunt and nobody can understand it. They're like, no way. You didn't see any? It must have been terrible. I'm like, no, you're hiking in the mountains of Colorado. (laughs) It's never boring. And I love elk hunting because you're moving constantly and you're always looking for them. And then I come back to whitetail and I, I like whitetail hunting, don't get me wrong, but all of a sudden you're sitting in the deer stand and it's a matter of how many hours can I put sitting in that deer stand waiting for the deer to come by. So that's why I love Colorado. I love elk hunting out there. Mule deer is just a blast also in Alberta. The couple of times I've done it, I can't wait to go do that again. Or North Dakota has got some great mule deer also. And mm-hmm. there's something about stocking a mule deer and trying to sneak up on them laying in their bed is just, 
it's a challenge and it's fun. Um, my husband and brother and brother-in-law and some friends, they go hunting elk in Montana every year, but we haven't really seen any elk meat yet. So I'm always asking, are, are you guys really hunting or is this, you guys just go and sit in this mountain cabin, but he comes home, my husband comes home and he is so sore from walking and crouching and doing all this crazy stuff. And it's crazy to me, you guys go and stay in these, like, it's so primitive. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, love it. I'll tell you the cool part. My my cousin has donkeys now. We take three donkeys with us and they carry our gear up, which really helps, by the way. So then we'll get three, four, to, well, three to five miles back in the mountains. We put our own tents up and we do it ourselves. And it is a, it's really funny. People say, do you get do you exercise, get ready for elk hunting? Yeah, I'll go do a mile jog or, you know, and I go to the club and I'll play racquetball for an hour. And then all of a sudden you get up that first morning elk hunting and you go walk seven miles in the mountains like. Yeah, just so the adrenaline just carries you and you go and yes, you get sore and you get tired, but it's too much fun to stop. You know, you just, you, you're not going to stop. You just keep going. And then if you see an elk, uh, we can see an elk five miles on the top of a mountain and we'll go get it. I mean, we're, we're going after it. <laughs> so how many people do you usually hunt with? You know, it my, it's been my cousin and I, the two up two to four. And okay. it usually averages about three to four guys that end up going. Last year, my brother went and he's now, I think, going to get on board for a while. And yeah, so three to four of us. So does your wife hunt? She does not. She, when we first got married, we had a Bishla pointer. We trained the dog together and I got her into pheasant hunting. So we went out and did some pheasant hunting. She thoroughly enjoyed it. After the dog, we, we got another dog that never, well, I, I guess more of the kids got As kids came around, hunting definitely took a sidetrack. So no, she enjoys the outdoors. She really enjoyed doing, watching the dog work and doing a little pheasant hunting, but she hasn't now for years. So what kind of a dog do you use now to pheasant hunt? I don't. We've got a Llewellyn setter that now my daughter took to Georgia. She's teaching down in Georgia. Crystal left and we said, take the dog with her. She really wanted the dog. So Rio is down in Georgia with Crystal and that's just fine. So we are dogless right now. It's, it's just fine. Things are peaceful around here. <laughs> Very nice. We have a Boykin Spaniel for uh, bird hunting and he's, he's very fun. So this is something I'm not a hunter. I was, my dad, was a Ohio patrolman. He was a trapper. He was a hunter. He was a fisher. He did a lot of that stuff. Um, my sister, my brother, everyone is into it and I like to eat it, but I don't like to kill it. Sure. No, but I get it. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, don't stop. I don't want them to stop hunting because I like eating it. Right. So I want to sure. go through here and make sure that I'm not missing anything from the kids. There's a couple more. Okay. So you're talking about um, publishing your book. So how long did it take you then to get your first book published? The first one took about a year. Took a year. Yep. Okay. Took about a year by the time we got done illustrations and I fought through it. I hired a, a young kid. I think he was 21 at the time. It was a, a guy that we worked with. He said, hey, my son's a great artist. I think he could help you. I didn't know what I was doing. So I tried to get him fired up to do it. And he did a very nice job. It's just, I think he realized it was way harder work than he thought. So that first one took us a long time. I'd go sit with him different times at a Denny's restaurant and watch him draw. Like, come on, let's get this done. Yeah, I just, I was really, had to encourage him to get it done. So Yeah, the hard part is supposed to be the writing, right? Right. Well, they still picture books. Man, it's tough. The illustrations are a big deal. Yeah. And Margarita's amazing, but she, like fishing with dad, took her about three months to get all the pictures done. It just takes time. They're in their, you know, detailed. And there's a lot to it. So when you're doing the picture books, to me, the pictures are way more important than the writing. And the chapter books, obviously, I only scatter a few pictures here and there. So then it becomes way more about the writing. But 
the, uh, yeah, the, the picture books, the illustrations make them work. Okay, where is your favorite place to fish? Interesting. I'm going to say probably Canada. When you go up to Canada and you hit the, some of the lakes up there and you just know you're going to catch walleyes and sometimes you're going to catch a hundred in a day. I love it up there. My dad took my brothers and cousins. We all used to go up in these portages and we'd go camp up there and I just, yeah, it's magical up in Canada. I like it. So are your freezers just stocked full of wildlife? Funny, you say it. I got a chest freezer that I haven't, I didn't shoot an elk last year. I, I didn't shoot a deer last year. No, I've been empty for a while this year. And then my wife's like, same thing. Come on, get an elk this time, would you? She loves the meat and we same deal. I've, you know, I've been elk hunting for about 24 years now. I've only shot five elk. It's just, it's hard to get them. And especially when we bow hunt for them, you know, so it's, it's yeah. tricky. But no, and I, and again, the fishing part, I, I almost more enjoy just catch and release fishing now. And I just all happen. I love going to Lax Lake in Minnesota. It's one of our bigger lakes. Mm -hmm. It's only catch and release and people get so frustrated. They won't go there. I love catching. There's the walleyes on there are huge. So it's a pretty average day to catch a 25 inch walleye, which is a big walleye. Yeah. And then you throw them back and I'm happy with that. That's just fine. So our freezer is not really stuff full, <laughs> but we thoroughly enjoy this year. We did. I got two deer for the first time in a while. So we got some deer meat going. So that's good. Good. So what about, I see a pheasant there over your shoulder. Do you have a lot of stuffed things? Are, are you a taxidermist best friend? Oh, mine. Oh, I got my, one of my first white tails I shot is right there. If I can show he you. Be really funny. right at me. Yes, he is. And then. Uh, it's really funny is right up above them is my moose from Alaska. And so when kids come to my house for trick-or-treating, they open the door and you see their eyes just get big. They look up and there's a moose, there's the deer, and then there's my elk is in the living room. So they're just like, oh my God, it's so funny. Wow. So I love, uh, I just, a teacher just asked me that, do you like mounting your own animals? Yes. I mean, I'm not mounting my own ones, but every animal that I've got the first time with my bow, it's probably up there mounting. My first bear is in my basement. That's one of my first big deer that I ever got. My first elk is hanging in the wall. My moose is up there. I mean, I love mounting the animals. And we've got a hunting property that's got animals scattered up there. And I, I love it. There's, I could, my wife, I told her I want to go on a really fun elk hunt next year. And she's like, but you don't need to get it mounted, right? I said, well, yeah, I don't think I can go get one and not get it mounted. They're just too magical. And I feel like I'm honoring them by putting them on the wall. You know, I, I just couldn't imagine, yeah, shooting a beautiful big animal like that. And then what, just... I don't know, putting the antlers on the wall, it doesn't seem right. I, I want to see that animal. And then remember the story over and over again. So she's not into the taxidermy like you are. She, trust me, the funniest story ever is when we first moved into this house, now 20 years ago, and I shot my first elk and she was gone and it came back from the taxidermist and I went to my neighbor. I said, you got to help me. He goes, what are we going to do? I said, I'm hanging this in the living room. He goes, okay, uh, all the things I've heard and how easy going your wife is, no way is that elk going to be in your living room. I said, let's just try. So I took a big, nice picture down and I, I mounted the elk up there and put it on the wall. She comes home and I'm sitting there and she walks around. Oh, she looks, she goes, oh, that looks pretty nice there. 22 years later, it's still sitting up on the wall. So she does not mind the taxidermy. It's, okay. She enjoys it. So does she decorate it for Christmas? Hang some yes, we do. Oh yeah, that, especially the deer there too. Oh yeah, he gets all kinds of fun stuff put on him. <laughs> so are they named? No, they're not named. I'll the the money elk just because that ended up being the book, but no, I don't have names for them. <laughs> okay. So you said you have a bear downstairs. Do you have the rug or do you have the actual bear? Three quarters mount coming out of the wall, not looking mean. That was my wife's deal. I'll let you put it on the wall, but you can't make it look mean. So it's just a nice, pleasant bear coming out of the wall. 
But when my daughter's friends were in high school or went to their grad parties, somehow it got brought up. They wanted to let me know that every time they slept over, they were scared of the bear in the basement. <laughs> well, a three-quarter bear, that's got to be pretty big. It is. It was a 300-pound bear. And I'll tell you what, it looks a lot smaller than you think. But yes, it's down there and I love it. It's, it ended up being a cinnamon bear, not black. And I didn't realize it when I shot it. I brought it to the tax service and he went, hey, you shot a cinnamon. I said, I did what? And he goes, look at this height compared to that one on the wall. I'm like, oh my goodness. So pretty cool that it's a little light colored cinnamony, not all black. So again, mm -hmm. kind of fun. Did you like to eat the bear? I did. The bear meat was fantastic. And we actually had a, our neighborhood, we get together a lot and we happen to have a, people were getting grills and the guys were all going to grill out. So I said, guys, I'll bring venison and bear meat. They went, don't bring bear meat. I said, I'm bringing bear meat. And I'm not going to tell you which one is which. Everybody liked the deer, or the bear chops. I just put little chops on. Season them up, threw them on there, and everybody liked them. So the bear meat was yeah. great. I've, I've never had any issue with bear meat. So what, out of everything that you've shot, what, what meat do you like the most and least? Uh, venison, by far, venison steaks, the back, back straps. We, there was times in, in northern Minnesota where we could shoot five deer, and they were really trying to get the population down. And my group, thank goodness, nobody really wanted the steaks. They all wanted to make it into sausage. So I got to bring home all the back straps. My kids, we ate backstrap at least every week. And my kids love it. My wife loves it. Everybody loves it. So that's my favorite by far. My least favorite, do I even have a least favorite? I don't know. I mean, the, I think the most challenging, if I don't do it right, is probably pheasant breast because it can dry out. Mm. But I've now, late in the last few years, figured out how to marinate it in just a little olive oil to make it really moist. And it's turned out pretty good. But I'd say it I just really find things that I just don't like as far as wild, wild game goes. Even goose? I, uh, yes, we ended up making goose uh, beef jerky out of it. And it turned out great. And even the, the, or the goose, I took a, a breast and I put olive oil in it, seasoned up and put a little bit of red wine in with it, marinated it overnight, and it actually turned out great. I sliced it thin. It was fantastic. So there's ways to make Ooh. all this wildlife taste good. But I again... Yeah, you could, you can dry out a goose breast again, and then it tastes terrible. You know, they're leathery and leathery and hard. Hmm. And I just had a patient who told me her husband likes duck, and I don't hear a lot of people tell me they eat duck. Well, I was on another podcast. They asked me, I had to bring a recipe. So I brought my favorite recipe is a duck recipe, where you take duck breast, you know, again, put it in olive oil, a little brown sugar, and, a, and sometimes I'll throw a little red wine in there. Keep it that simple. Marinate it overnight. Bacon wrap it. I cut the then I cut it thin and I wrap it with bacon. Stick it on my grill at like 500 degrees so the bacon gets crispy. It's to die for. You, you cut it, you wouldn't think you're not eating filet mignon. It's unbelievable. Wow. Challenge to try it. It's amazing. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, I'm gonna have to send uh, send my hunters out to get some duck. I guess. There you go. <laughs> All right. Is there anything that you would say to kids right now who are in school and um, they're enjoying your books and they are liking your stories? What is your message to them right now? The message I leave every school that I talk to is to remember that whether it's my book or any other book that you find that you like, every single time you finish reading a book, you just got smarter. And it's really that simple for the rest of your life. You keep picking up books and every time you finish one and you remember that you just got smarter, keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. If that message can sink in, because we all know the, 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 the kid in high school that read all the books, they were the smart ones. It's like, what is it? But if you can find a book you like, then it's not like you're forcing yourself to read it. 
So mm-hmm. keep finding books you like and read and read and read as much as you can. So how many books do you read a month? Oh, that's a good one. I'm an audible guy. I love listening to books on tape. I definitely go through. Oh, the problem is I got like three of them going right now, which is kind of funny. So I probably read one about once every month, a month and a half. Mm-hmm. It's something like that. And, I, and sometimes they get to be longer books too. I like a lot of the self, you know, motivational books and stuff that tend to be kind of long at times, but yeah, I, I, I'll, I love Audible and I love listening to people tell the story, which was kind of funny. I get a kick out of that, that when you get a good uh, reader of the, the, the great narrators are just so much fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. Are you like, does your wife read your books and then tell you, like, if she doesn't like one of your books, is she flat out telling you or is she kind of sugarcoating it? Well, that's a funny one. So or does she just wife, love them all? No, no, no. My wife's a principal and she's really good at uh, being understanding how the books flow. So she's usually right before I want to go to editing, I, I have to plead with her. She's very busy as a principal, but I got to beg her and plead her and set it out there and just hopefully wait patiently. And eventually she gets to it. And what she tends to try to do is to edit it a little bit more than I'd like. I just want the idea, right? Am I on track? But so I would say she will definitely give me feedback if, yeah, if I'm bringing something up that, ah, that didn't really make you know, sense to me or something. But for the most part, I, I got to say, you know, by the time it gets to her, the story is pretty good. And it, I, you know, I'm feeling good about it myself now that I've done so many of them. Like, I kind of know when it's right, but I still, I get deep in the book sometimes too. And then I get lost, like, okay, maybe I've edited this too much and it's not right. So I do need that outside perspective. Her and Crystal are fantastic at reading through it right before it goes off to the editor. Lucky Luke now. I tell them one day I'm going to get on my, my, I don't know why I've said this forever, but I told them I'm going to get on Good Morning America or one of those shows and I'm going to throw them under the bus. The lucky Luke himself has never read one of the books and they're all about, they're, so, they're about him. It's like, buddy. And he's like, dad, this is your deal. So he went to my first book signing and get, people were asking him to sign the book. And he's like, why am I signing? What am I, what's going on here? This is my deal. <laughs> so I don't think he's oh, read one. I'm pretty sure he has. <laughs> That is way funny. Well, yeah, you're not writing them for him. You're writing them for yourself. So I guess that's true. Right. I'm like, come on, buddy. And I'm like, this is your deal. I want to see what you think. I described how you were feeling when you did this, because I'm writing about you, like especially in the turkey hunting and stuff. It's like, but whatever. He's, I think we'll see if one day ever, maybe he'll end up reading to his kids or something and he'll go, wait a minute. Hey, it's kind of funny. This is about me. I don't know. <laughs> And you kind of have infinite things to write about because you'll you'll continue to have hunting stories and probably hunt with grandkids and you know you could probably write from your dog's perspective from hunting. I mean, you really are good to go. Yes, and then of course I always kid my wife whenever I need another story to write, I just got to go on another hunt. <laughs> so <laughs> people keep asking me, how come you haven't been to Africa? And I want to shoot a caribou really bad, and I think a caribou story would be great. So there are stories. Yes, it. it I had one guy that. He just asked me, how many more do you think you really can do as one of these publishers? I'm like, I think I can keep going. I don't know. Yep. I don't any reason to stop yet. But my kids would like an alligator hunting book. That's funny. You're about the third person to ask me for that. And I have, I even had a teacher that sent me her whole story that she just got drawn in a tag in Florida or somewhere. It's a big deal to get drawn where she went. It's a team effort there. She sent me pictures of the whole event and wrote it. And then she, when she got a seven or eight footer, she brought that into school with her to show the kids and it's a big deal. And so she really wanted me to write one too. I'm like, but I got to go do it. See, again, yeah. I had a lot of people say, I can give you ideas. I, I, this happened to me. I'm like, okay, well then you write your book. I said, don't, you know, they, everyone wants to give me an idea to write about, 
So if alligators is it, I would love to go on an alligator hunt and then I'll experience and then I'll write it. <laughs> and that's what they want you to do. They want you to go on an alligator hunt because they like um, swamp people. So that was, that's what they want to see you come up with. So it sounds amazing. I, the, the adventure, wow, was this gal was so um, just overwhelmed with the team effort it took to get this alligator. And by the second one ended up being a small one, but I guess it's a major deal. If you get drawn for this tag, wherever she was, I mean, they, the conservation side of it, they really want you to take an alligator out of this river or wherever they are. And it was really cool. So yeah, I've had a couple of people talk to me about that. Alligators. <laughs> and then you can talk about the alligator meat. There you go. I've heard it's really good. We had, at, well, I didn't try it because I couldn't, um, it had gluten, but um, alligator fritters when we were in Savannah and I was yep. told they were very good. Wonderful. Cool. Well, we'll have to check in with you again then after you've had some more adventures so we can hear about them. Sounds fantastic. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Kevin, for um, speaking with me today and informing us all about your adventures and your journey into writing. You are very welcome. Happy to do it anytime. Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback, so ratings and reviews are appreciated.